0: You guys good? Are you sure? Yeah. That was Okay, that was a little weak, but hopefully uh, we'll, we'll get more energetic as the night goes on. Bro, come give us the word. Thanks, Chad. Appreciate it, man. Maybe, yeah, maybe I should grab that. Will it fit? That's too tall. Sorry, man. Good evening, everybody. You're going to get me a smaller one? Thanks, bro. Praise God. The wisdom of God. Provided for our salvation, the perfect way. Jesus Christ sent from God as the eternal son of God was crucified for our sins, was raised from the dead by God. Amen. We believe that we believe that a man was crucified. His name is Jesus. He was crucified for our sins. He was buried. And on the third day, God raised him from the dead. We believe that death has been conquered and that atonement for our sins has been provided. And it's applied by God to our lives when we believe. And then Jesus was exalted to the right hand of God, from which position he will return to judge the earth and to establish his kingdom. Jesus is king. He is Lord. He's alive from the dead by the grace of God, by the mercy of God coming out of the awesome love of God. Our father has provided the way for our salvation. God is good. And the design of that plan and its execution were absolutely perfect. So by the wisdom of God, our souls are saved, and Jesus is king. Our souls are saved if we believe. In light of this great lordship of Jesus, I would like to pray for you all as we go into our our message for tonight. I would like to pray that the, the activity of the spirit would be manifest in your life if you have needs, because after Jesus was exalted on high... In his name and through him, God poured out his spirit upon us. And now, according to Ephesians chapter one, which you all know because you're experts in Ephesians, we are blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. So I'm going to pray for these grace gifts and these blessings to be manifest in your life as testimony to the lordship of Jesus and the great wisdom of God in which you are walking. So let's begin this portion. If you don't mind, let's, we're going to pray. But if, if you don't mind, if you're okay with it, let's stand together. If you're too tired or just don't want to, I'm, in, I'm not the boss of you. But if you're willing, then let's stand. And I'm just going to pray for us and pray for you in particular. <clears throat> Our Father in heaven, may your name be sanctified. May your kingdom come. May your will be done upon the earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive our debts as we forgive those indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil. We praise you, God, for your awesome love. You are wonderful. You are transcendent, yet you are intimate and present. You are sovereign, and yet you are tender-hearted and close to us. You are the judge of all, and yet you're the shepherd who cares for our souls. You are wonderful. You're the only one who's God from everlasting to everlasting. And yet your presence is with us so tenderly and sweetly and at times even quietly, gently. You are amazing. You are You are awesome. We bless your holy name. We give you thanks and praise. And we confess that Jesus is crucified and risen and ascended on high. He's the sovereign king and he's returning. And we bless your holy name, wonderful Jesus. And now, Father, I'm asking you to manifest your spirit in power. In the precious lives, the hearts, bodies, minds, and families that are represented here in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, sweep through this place, Lord, like a, like, a, a, like a fire driven by the wind to bring cleansing and purity and blessing to our hearts and lives. In Jesus' name right now, amen and amen, amen. Thank you so much. We're going to continue to talk about wisdom. I'm going to read at the beginning tonight from Deuteronomy chapter 4. This message is about wisdom from the wilderness. Wisdom from the wilderness. You know, in Proverbs, it says there's. You know, we should be eager for wisdom. It's more precious than gold, right? It's very, very, very costly. All the treasures of the earth, actual currency, digital currency, all kinds of gold and silver, whatever's worth anything. All of it put together, multiplied exponentially is, 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 is cheaper. It's, it's, it's less valuable than the wisdom of God, which he grants freely. He gives it, and it's more valuable than all that wealth. And we will see that very clearly at the end of the age, but may God grant us grace to see it now. It's very, very valuable. So valuable, in fact, it is worth suffering to obtain wisdom. Because some elements, perhaps many elements of the wisdom of God are difficult to discern and embrace deeply in our hearts without going through hard times in order to to see them and perceive these great nuggets of wisdom with clarity. Because wisdom is not just knowing God's ways, it's doing God's ways. Wisdom is smart enough to say, I'm not just gonna keep this in theory. The whole point of wisdom is to develop character based on my understanding of God. And there are some things in that realm that we just can't get unless we go through difficulty. That's just the way it is. We know that because Jesus Christ was absolutely utterly perfect. He never sinned, though he was tempted in all things. And yet he still had to go through suffering to learn obedience. He was not unlearning disobedience. He only ever obeyed. But still, the scripture is explicit in Hebrews chapter 5. And I know we're in Deuteronomy 4. We'll get there in a moment. I'll just allude to this without turning there. But it says in the days of his flesh, he um, in the days of his flesh, he offered up both loud crying and tears to the one who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his piety. That's the way my translation puts it. It means it. It means his reverent submission. In other words, even during very difficult times, he maintained a submissive attitude toward God. And then it says, and although he was a son, he learned obedience through the things that he suffered. And having been made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation. It does not mean he was imperfect before. It means that as a human, he still had to develop into the fullness of his personhood and personality to be the ripe enough fruit, so to speak, so that his blood could cleanse us of our sins. He had to come to, into age. At 33 years old, fully tested, fully proven, and now he can be the source of eternal salvation. And he could only get to that point. According to Hebrews chapter five, beginning in verse seven, through suffering. Psalm 119 says, until I was afflicted, I went astray. But now I keep your word. I come to you as someone who's imperfect, as someone I believe was sent here this weekend, who has given some attention to the word and studied over the years, who has sought even more than that to implement the word of God in my life. And now as someone who's gone through the hardest wilderness of his entire life, I'm coming to you speaking about some things that I've learned from the scriptures while in The pressure of the wilderness. This is why the way I look to you right now is a little bit different than my picture on the wall. I have more gray hairs and they're longer now because I've been in the wilderness. As you can see, I'm completely a wild man now. Not really, but I have all this hair. It's probably my swan song because it's getting thin up here. So it's like my last hurrah. No, that's not the point. The point is it's just... It's been a spiritual time. I feel like I've lived a thousand lives in the last two years. And man, if I'm going to go through all that, I'm going to come out the other side with at least a little bit of wisdom. I'm going to get something out of this. I'm going to tap this thing. And so what I want to share with you tonight will come out of my experience in the wilderness, but. Facing the scriptures as I was doing so, keeping my face in them and contemplating them. And I believe experiencing them and experiencing God in ways that I did not know I would ever experience God. And finding things in my soul that I did not know were there. Some of them were good, I guess. I'm not my own judge, right? Some of them not so good. Part of the wilderness is you get squeezed and the juice comes out. Come on. God wants people so ripened and developed in wisdom that when you squeeze the grapes, sweet wine comes out, not sour. You can't tell unless you squeeze. And that wine that comes out is for the world. It's for the people around us. To taste and see that Yahweh is good. How blessed is everyone who takes refuge in him. I'll tell you, there's some prayers I prayed in the wilderness that God never yet answered. But there's other ways he made himself known to me that were shocking. It's like, why did this come so easily? And you came to me so sweetly and so faithfully, but other things did not get answered or solved. And the suffering continued. I don't know, but I didn't write the story you did. I'll just enjoy you and walk with you. Amen. It's the nature of the wilderness. It's not this flaky, charismatic, mania magic show where everything is all or nothing. It's not, life's not like that. And we need wisdom to know that so we could be full of faith. And I'm telling you, man, in Jesus' name, performing miracles on the streets, in the house. I believe in that more than ever. I went to God about this. I went through a several week period where I, just, I went to God with intensity about that. And even though I didn't come into a concrete difference yet, I believe in it all the more. But you know what? God is God. And, and this is the wilderness and this is life. And sometimes things are just complicated. And wisdom from the scriptures teaches us that. So I believe in that, but it takes wisdom to be able to navigate life, even with the Spirit of God flowing with abundance and the harvest coming in and God's people clearly blessed and revival and the the eternal purpose of God occurring to and through the church for the making of disciples and our region and the nations coming to Jesus. Amen and amen. It takes a wise people to steward that because life is not all neat all the time. Even in the best of times, some things happen that we just can't explain. And wisdom clings to God all the more, not the less. Because when things are dark, wisdom kicks in. Like right now, it doesn't seem like God in the moment. Now listen, key words. It doesn't seem in the moment that God's fulfilling his word. So what does wisdom say? Well, then I hang on all the more because he will. That's wisdom. Wisdom is activated when even God is shrouded. It's a test. And wisdom is allowed to know that. Wisdom is allowed to know I'm being tested. Remember I talked about the professor last night. He let me let our class have a cheat sheet. It's like if if he tells you there's a test coming, he tells you where to find the answers and tells you you can bring a cheat sheet, then do it. We're allowed to know we're being tested. But I'll tell you, when you're in the wilderness, the emotions really kick in and things are sometimes a bit chaotic and you got all the feels and we're going to talk about that a little bit. And so we have to have wisdom at the core so we know God's testing and there's things the devil's doing that's not from God, the things the flesh is doing that's not from God. We can discern all that because we're wise. Life's complicated some things are not all God. Sometimes they're not all the devil. Sometimes these things are complicated. The spirit drove Jesus into the wilderness and the devil tempted him. God was testing. Devil was tempting. The devil's evil. God is good. And they were both acting in Jesus' life. God for good leading and the devil attacking and manipulating and tempting. And it's like that's life sometimes. And wisdom navigates through. So we need wisdom in the wilderness and we need wisdom from the wilderness because there's some elements of wisdom that simply aren't learned unless we are in and then coming out of the wilderness. And so I've I don't I I don't think I'm all the way out, but I'm Lord willing on my way out and I have a few things to say about it with my soul having been changed. I've, I'm not claiming anything more than some change. You understand that. I, things are, you know, life. I, I have more life to live and grow. <clears throat> but you know that you're, you're weak and going through things when the Holy Spirit has to tell you, you're not losing your mind. That was really helpful to hear that one time. And I was just weeping in prayer in absolute weakness. You're not losing your mind. <sighs> he didn't snap his fingers and heal me. But he told me you're not losing it. Your marvels are in there. <laughs> All right, okay. Such sweet things along the way. Pennies from heaven. Just extraordinary. I'm going to look back and I can already say it was worth it. Anyway, we have to. We have to move forward. We got to talk about this a little more. So I'm in Deuteronomy four to introduce this and we'll begin right at the top of that paragraph. So verse one, we'll read about eight verses. Now Israel, okay, Moses is speaking to, to the people of Israel. He just narrated their history up to this point and now is preparing them to enter the promised land. Listen to the statutes and the judgments, which I'm teaching you to perform So that you will live and go in and take possession of the land which Yahweh, the God of your fathers, is giving you. Forgive the pause. I want to make a few comments about my prophetic perspective for you. As I said last night, I will reiterate tonight. I believe this is a transitional moment for this church. And I believe God has honored your pursuit of him and has Told you that you are people of wisdom. It's not something you will be, it's something you are. You've proven yourselves wise. The second thing I want to say about that, and I didn't make this as clear last night because I didn't see it until today, but I believe the Lord is imparting wisdom to you during these days, that there is an impartation of wisdom. That's what's happening. I believe the Lord has given me license to indicate that. It's it's one of the things that I steward for the body whenever I get the opportunity. And I believe that you're receiving an impartation, as I am from you. And then thirdly, which I did make clear last night, uh, you are moving into a season of greater wisdom, because that's the nature of wisdom. When you have it, it means you're always getting more. Because that's what wisdom is. It's always acquiring more wisdom. So your pursuit of wisdom will continue. But there'll be great favor and capacity to obtain ever more. I pray in greater measures than ever before. At a greater rate. So just using the analogy of being on the precipice of the promised land. So I believe you're coming into something new and beautiful. In the wisdom of God. You know the wisdom is the first of the. Nine gifts mentioned in 1 Corinthians 12. It's foundational. Wise architect, Paul called himself a wise master builder. 1 Corinthians 3.10. Apostles are marked by wisdom, not by charisma. Not, you know, speaking ability is what I mean by that, or personality. Even great leadership. It's it's helpful if an apostle has great leadership skills, but sometimes people are CEOs and they're, they're, they're top leaders and we call them We call them apostles, but they don't have the wisdom to build God's house. So they're not apostles. Apostles carry wisdom. I'm not claiming that for myself, but I do carry wisdom to impart. Those are separate things. It doesn't matter what I am. but I'm telling you is that this is what marks apostles. They impart wisdom that builds God's house, God's way at a foundational level so that the church is set right from the big inning. The big inning and the beginning. <laughs> yeah. It's very important to set the tone the right way at the beginning. That's why Paul had to write letters. It's like you guys are straying from what I taught. When I was there, I laid a foundation no one else could lay, and it was I, I acted as a wise master builder. You're straying from the tone and the content, the reality of the, the wise foundation, which is Christ Himself. So the first Corinthians in particular was meant to get them back on that foundation. So it's, 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 even though it should be right at the beginning, it's not a one-off. Sometimes we have to recalibrate. All right, so here we go. So you're in a transitional period coming into greater wisdom, which means greater identity, greater prosperity as God's people, which are the promises of God. <clears throat> but it's all to serve him. It's all to be his people, to contain and express his presence. Amen. Verse two, you shall not add to the word which I'm commanding you, Moses tells the Israelites, nor take away from it so that you may keep the commandments of Yahweh your God, which I'm commanding you. Your eyes have seen what Yahweh has done in the case of Baal Peor. For all the men who followed Baal Peor, Yahweh your God has destroyed them from among you. But you who clung to Yahweh your God are alive today, every one of you. Look, I've taught you statutes and judgments just as Yahweh, my God, commanded me, Moses speaking here, that you are to do these things in the land where you're about to enter to take possession of it. So here's that prophetic uh, perspective that's illustrated symbolically in this text. You're about to enter something, you're coming out of a wilderness of wisdom of sorts. And, you know, life happens to all of us, so not everything goes away right away. But the point is, you're entering, you're, you're entering something new. It's a transition. Okay? So the wisdom you learned, take it into the land and do it there and keep getting wisdom because that was one of Israel's purposes once in the land, to, to rest and gain more wisdom, to be a testimony to the nations. Verse 6. Am I right about that? So keep and do them, for that is your wisdom. Does it say that in our translation up here? Yep, for this is your wisdom. Mine says that is your wisdom. Verse six again, keep them and do them, because that is your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples who will hear all these statutes and say, Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. My prayer for you and my expectation is that that will be your testimony. People will say, this is a wise and understanding people. Some will say the opposite. We know that from other scriptures. But some will say, this is a wise and understanding people. They know life. They know what living is. They know the source. They have captured the meaning of life. And it's Christ who knew. We thought Christ was a religion or just some kind of super conservative Republican. (laughs) Or something else. One of my friends who got saved is a very, very liberal New York intellectual Jew. Jew thought Jesus Christ was a part of the the, the head of the Ku Klux Klan or something. And effeminate to boot, somehow those things are combined. And when he actually read the gospel, he was blown away by the integrity and the force of the personality of Jesus Christ. By his ability to to treat the, the afflicted with tenderness and to punch holes in the arguments of the hypocrites. He was absolutely unassailable and indestructible and powerful and merciful. He was perfect. When my friend read those texts, he said, no one can speak this way except for God. Now I have to become a Christian. What will everyone say? Am I going to have to become this figure that I just described? And of course, he became a powerful believer, found Jesus to be something quite different than what he imagined. Well, it's up to us to receive the spirit of wisdom and revelation and show the world the real risen king of kings and Lord of lords. That's our role. So the people will say, surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. Now verse seven, for what great nation is there that has a God so near to it as is the as is Yahweh our God whenever we call on him. Or what great nation is there that has statutes and judgments as righteous as this whole law, which I'm setting before you today? It's The testimony that Yahweh is God, he is king, and he makes a people that are full of wisdom and understanding, blessing and life as a testimony to the nations. I believe you're coming into a transition that you will be like that. And Jesus died and is raised, and so he's worthy of such a people. Amen. Amen. May it be so, in Jesus' name. So wisdom is, well, it begins with the fear of the Lord, as we talked about last night. Recognizing God as God and submitting reverently to him, as if he is in fact God, and we in fact are not. That's the fear of the Lord. To recognize that and thereby make covenant with him is the beginning of wisdom. We don't have wisdom till we begin there. Then once we're in, wisdom means, so first, the fear of the Lord. Number two, learning his ways. Not as if our life depended on it, but as if that is our life, to learn his ways. And then thirdly, to adopt them into our behavior. Or put another way, learn his ways, and walk in them. Wisdom is clarified, crystallized, and glorified in the New Testament. This Yahweh whom we fear in the Old Testament, and I say fear in the positive sense of reverence and awe, not being afraid of him in some kind of carnal terror, which is an implicit accusation that God is not good, reverent fear recognizes that he's good, but he's also God. So there is some trembling involved, but he's still nothing but good and loving and kind. So it's not being afraid in a terrified sense, but it's a reverential fear that does recognize him as God. And even when he does reveal himself and it's nothing but goodness, sometimes we shake because of his Godness and our recognition that we're imperfect in his presence. That's, there's just fear involved in that. It's the, he puts his hand on us and says, don't be afraid. But we have to go through that to get to that hand. Anyway, that's what I mean by fearing Yahweh. It's not a different God. It's the same God in the Old Testament. But what's called the fear of Yahweh and other things in the Old Testament becomes believing in Jesus in the New Testament. Faith justifies. So faith is a pledge of loyalty. It's making covenant. It's where wisdom begins when we believe. Pledging our loyalty to Jesus. The way Jesus put it so covenantally. If any person will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Now that's the fear of the Lord. That's not commitment. Come on, that's surrender. That's absolute covenant. That's entering a relationship that says you are God and I'm the person and you're my God and I'm your person and we just belong together. I'm yours. So even though we're liberated from the slavery of sin, the apostles could still call themselves slaves of Christ. Because we're his property. He owns us. If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me, Jesus said. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever will lose his life for my sake will find it. For what is a man profited if he gains the whole world, but forfeits his soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? Truly, I tell you that when the son of man returns, he'll come when the glory of his father with his angels, and then he will repay every man according to his works. I think I skipped part of the passage, but you get the idea. Jesus calls us to carry our cross. So fearing the Lord becomes believing in Jesus and carrying our crosses and following him. The formula is the same, but it becomes clearer and more glorious. We believe in Jesus, we learn the Jesus way, and we do the Jesus way. That's wisdom. And again, the ways of the Lord are now the ways of Jesus Christ, and they've been clarified. We see him in his glory. We read about him in the New Testament. We see him manifest through Mature people throughout history and in our own day by the Holy Spirit. The ways of Jesus are meekness, humility, selfless sacrificial love, grace, fiery righteousness and justice, compassion for the widow and for the orphan, obedience, miracles, healings. The ways of Jesus are glorious. They are life itself. It's now clearer than it was under the old covenant. So we learn those ways. That's what wise people do. They learn the ways of Jesus and then they walk in those ways. And all of those ways now in the new covenant are typified, exemplified, and summarized by the cross. The cross says covenant with God, And we take up our cross like we just quoted. We follow Jesus because every one of those virtues and the many others in the array of virtues that constitute Jesus himself, that are the ways we're learning, all of them come only when we can deny ourselves and then put our eyes on Jesus and follow him. Learning his ways and doing them, it's all exemplified by the cross. And that is wisdom. And again, that's why in first Corinthians, especially chapter one, verse 17, all the way through chapter four, that Paul talks about the cross is the wisdom of God, even though the world calls it foolish. So that's wisdom. Elements to this wisdom I'm describing to you only come in and then through the wilderness. Because the wilderness gives us choices. The wilderness exposes what's inside of us and gives us a choice to either continue in the ways of carnality that came up or to choose the Lord's ways. In fact, we read from Deuteronomy 4 over four chapters in Deuteronomy 8. You don't have to turn there, but the Lord said, you know, when you were in the wilderness, I tested you. I withheld food. I kept you in that that rocky area arid terrain. That's my paraphrase. Because I wanted to see what was inside of you. To see if you would obey my commandments. And a whole generation failed and had to die in the wilderness. Because we just don't know what's inside of us until the wilderness. And then when it comes up, we have to start making choices. I'm either going to be wise And not be ashamed of the shame that came out. And not have to put on a face for people, which is stupid. It's foolish. It's not wise. And I'm going to walk in the ways of the Lord. I'm not going to be concerned of whether or not God's meeting all of my needs. Right now, my my feast is just manna. That's all we're getting these days. At Certain times in the wilderness. There was quail, but like, it's because they were complaining about the manna. It's like, you know, we're going hungry even when we're eating. There's a hunger there. There's a lack of a level of satisfaction that we in the West think we're entitled to. The Lord says, I withhold that sometimes because I want to see what's in you. Is your character rooted in your comforts and circumstances? Or is it rooted deep in the soil of God's word? So when the weather changes and things are taken away, you and I can be exposed not as trying to derive our character From the atmosphere, which changes, but we're deriving our character from the God who abides inside of us so that we are immovable. And the fruit we bear is is never threatened by the changes of the atmosphere and the circumstances, the way people are treating us and whether or not we're getting all the blessings we want and and everything else. You see, I, I, I love reality. I love real life. I don't like the, the superficiality that the Western church has often put on so that it's a show. You can fake it. You can fake it until you don't make it. I don't like that. I like it just to be real all the time. Real people actually growing, actually doing life together actually forgiving and giving grace and mercy when needed actually changing and repenting and saying you're sorry and we move on together the 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 real things actually happening instead of just putting on a face and you find out there's a complete different life going on in the background and everybody was duped because you could fake it for the camera what you see is not what you get when god is the opposite exactly what you see is exactly who he is from eternity You see light if you come into his presence, Revelation 4, wherever. He is light through and through, all through eternity. There's no surprises. There's no variation or shifting shadow, right? Great is thy faithfulness. He's consistent. That's why he says, I am that I am. God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. And he wants the people the same way. I am holy, you shall be holy. I like reality. I don't like putting on the show. I have difficulty with ceremony for that reason. Some ceremony's fine, but I, I, don't like, I, I don't like it. It's not real to me. And I might overthink it sometimes, whatever. We should all have a hunger for reality. And sometimes it means things are moving slow and, and, and people, we smell their breath and they're dealing with things and we have to talk about it and pray it through. And that's real life. That's where Christ dwells. That's wisdom and the wilderness exposes us to see what's in us and that's okay. When that happens, be wise. The wisdom brings pressure for this very reason. The wisdom even brings suffering because we're being tested and sometimes we have to go through trials to learn God's presence in new ways Like Smith Wigglesworth would say, you're not transformed during a singing meeting. Now, some people would beg to differ. They're like, man, I've I've been to services that changed my life. Okay, I'm sure he would qualify it too. Amen, of course. You gaze at glory, you're transformed. I'm sure most of you here have been transformed in meetings in this building. But he was making a point. You can't just have the dopamine hit of the excitement during the meeting. You can't just lust for that all the time. (laughs) And just conferences and conferences. Exciting meetings and all the time like we do. I don't mean we, we, but it's out there. That's not real. That's not real people going through real things who are exposing bad character and no one's helping them. No one's helping the leaders with the same problems that are leading them. The wilderness exposes all of that so we can deal with it. Suffering brings us into contact with new aspects of God's presence during times like that. I don't know if I've cried my entire life as much as I've cried in the last two years. And I'm not easy to cry. But, you know, I, I didn't write the story. I, I'm not saying that everything I was experiencing came from God. But I'll tell you, even the bad things he allowed. And that's his prerogative. Do I still believe in him, like, vibrantly? Or am I just going to hang on by a thread or something? I mean, it's, 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 it's hard to describe. You know, probably most of you know what I'm talking about. When you're pressed that hard, it's like you get to know God's presence in a new way because you have to seek him in your weakness. You have to, to translate it into strength and to deal with the things that come up and to depend on your friends, your brothers and your sisters in ways that you never thought you would have to. And I mean, it's, it's worth its weight a million times over in gold. The wilderness creates these scenarios that are worth revelations of God. And the development of character called wisdom in our souls. So let me, let me share with you a handful of things that I've learned from the wilderness season. Some of these I'll go through quickly. We've, we're well into the message. I'm not just starting my points right now. But Forgive me for pausing. I forgot to t- check the time when I got up here. Can you give me an idea of... Is there any timer on how long I've been speaking? Okay, so. About 20, is it? Really? Okay, well then I'll, okay, here we go. Here's what I've learned. You know what? Yeah, I'm just going to take you through the wilderness. I'm just kidding. i to <laughs> make you sit here and listen to me. Like, you can't make us do it. We can just walk out. That's true. That's true. (laughs) Wisdom from the wilderness maintains God's absolute sovereignty. Wisdom learns that God is absolutely sovereign. Even in our lives, when we would have written the script differently, we submit to the story he wrote for our lives, even if we never imagined this is the way it should be written. This gets us back to the fear of Yahweh. It's respect and submission to his kingship. We let him write the story. He's the one from everlasting to everlasting. He's the one who sees all things. He's the one kindly and graciously developing us for eternity. When we stand before the throne of God, which is one of the great expressions of his kingship, of his sovereignty. And he's meeting out the rewards and the qualities of our kingdom life in the age to come. When that happens, it's our our time on earth is over. So he is the one preparing us for that day. Wisdom submits to his sovereignty and clings to it. And if we're missing something, if there's something we're doing wrong that has to be corrected, when we cling to his sovereignty, he will show us. And if we're insisting on healing, if that's the issue, because the Bible promises healing. It's the children's bread. It's people with faith. They see people healed all the time for this out of their faith. It's like, but what if it doesn't come? What if you're doing everything you need to do? You're like, you know what, Lord, show me what you need to show me and I will stretch my faith wherever it needs to be stretched. But I am submitting to you. The fear of the Lord is the context for vibrant faith. In other words, we don't take God's promises and pull his arm behind his back and try to hold him hostage by his own promises. That's testing the Lord. It's not believing the Lord. So we believe, and I mean we believe, we stand on the promises of God. We speak by faith. By his stripes, we are healed. We stand on that. By faith in Jesus' name, but submitted to God. Because some things take longer than others. And submission is in the waiting, and waiting is one of the hardest things we can do. Wisdom from the wilderness maintains the sovereignty of God, and it applies it to daily life. He's always the Lord, even with these amazing and vibrant promises for healing and blessing. And, you know, maybe that's one of the reasons why I felt to pray at the beginning, because like, I believe in that. I want to see people healed now. I want to see him healed yesterday. There are broken people who need this gospel power. So I believe in that, but I also have to face reality of what's happening to me and all of us and submit to God. Second thing I want to share quickly. Wisdom from the wilderness makes us authentic. How often does Proverbs, as well as Scripture in general, of course, but extol truth and honesty transparency, confession, walking in the light. The wilderness gives us the choice. If we're wise, we will become authentic and not care about promoting an image of ourselves to others. So we can look a certain way. One popular writer today calls it And it's probably getting it from people he's learned from in the field of psychology, but it's projecting a false self. To me, that's an insightful way of putting it. The Bible calls it lying. The Bible calls it hypocrisy, wearing a mask. If we get under pressure, sometimes if we decide to stay carnal in the wilderness, we get pushed further into inauthenticity and lying. We try harder to prove ourselves to be spiritual when we're dying inside and lying inside. But wisdom says, you know what? Who cares what people think? I am what I am and I'm willing to grow. So I'm just going to be myself and say, I'm weak, and I'm needy, and I need prayer, and let God make me someone spiritual. What good is it if we promote ourselves and fake people out that we're we're spiritual when we're not? And I'm a pretty discerning person. I can usually smell it from when someone's faking it from a distance. I'm not joking, but I'm only about 80% because the other 20, according to Chad, God blinds you so that there's room for you to be duped or betrayed sometimes. And I've had that happen to me in recent history. Not very recent, but fairly recent. That someone who can project himself as spiritual was not in fact operating in the spirit. And there was no proof in the pudding of life coming forth. Come on, you can fake impact. You can even have gifts without bearing fruit. Fruit comes from the seed of God in your spirit. When your life is replicated in someone else, they become more loving and joyful rather than more sour and critical. While we're trying to fake looking spiritual, you can't fake fruit. Just grab one of those wax pieces off the fake fruit and take a bite and see if it's nourishing and tasty. Fruit comes from life and it gives life. It's the flow of the spirit working through us. And we desperately need the wisdom that makes us authentic, real people. We are not committed to projecting a false self called lying or hypocrisy. So we put on a show, but inside we're dead. We are rather committed to Jesus and bearing fruit that is good. Being authentic is being wise. And being wise is impossible without being truly humble in the sight of God. Humility is authenticity. And authenticity requires humility. We don't care what people think. We're not self-centered. And so we humble ourselves. We're willing to ask for prayer. We're willing to go and confess our sins. Depending on the sin, depends on how broadly we should confess it. Some things should only be confessed with brothers or sisters that are close, but we still must be transparent even while we're being discreet. Because it's like, I I don't care the way I come across. I want help. I want to be like Jesus. And that happens in the light. You know, only when we're authentic can we have real fellowship. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And then the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all unrighteousness. These issues get ironed out. If we're authentically walking in the light, then we have fellowship. That's why some relationships break up because both people or more, whatever the amount is, they weren't all willing to walk in the light. So the relationships aren't working out. Biblical relationships depend on authenticity or in John's language, walking in the light as he is in the light. Then we have fellowship. That's church planting in the New Testament. Authentic people. You plant a church that's all a show and you call that a church. People can come and go without any true self coming out, even if they wanted to bring it. You don't get light. You don't get authenticity that way. You you don't get Christ dwelling in your midst because we're not being wise when we're inauthentic. The wilderness has a way to test us and say, look, you have elements at least of your heart that are inauthentic. You're concerned about the way you come off and projecting someone, then being yourself honestly before God. And then authenticity isn't just honest about it. It submits to correction when it's needed and moves on. Anybody could say, yeah, I'm just greedy and a liar. I'm not going to try to be someone else because Gladstone said you got to be yourself. Yeah, but being yourself means you're willing to admit that and then you're willing to repent when the spirit and or people or both gently call you out and say, this needs to be taken care of. Authenticity doesn't just tell the truth. It then seeks to walk in the truth. Come on. That's the light. That's authenticity. And ain't no place more effective at bringing that out than the wilderness. I've had a. There were areas of my heart I didn't even know were prideful and self-protective until I went through this whole, this season. Then it's like, well, people just going to see me the way I am. It's that's worth it to knock this junk out of me, right? And we got to be real during times like that. We we have to face up the way things are making us feel. I'm not trying to be all touchy-feely psychiatrist for you, but. The scripture is full of emotive words. We read the Psalms with honesty. We find David and other writers really going through difficult times and crying out to God, confessing sin, complaining about people criticizing him or them, asking God, how long am I going to go through this? But hope in God's soul, I will yet praise him. Authenticity means finding our voice in the Psalms and praying our honest feelings to God. Be real. And if your reality is sinful, then may God convict you, but at least you're coming out with it. Right? And give us repentance. See, I'm not I'm not promoting just be. Be honest about every little thing. I'm I'm saying be fully honest. But don't stop there. Come all the way into the light and let it produce the fruit of repentance and walking in a new way because we're committed to following Jesus rather than projecting a false self. Let me give you an example. I hope to do this quickly all, all the way over in Jeremiah chapter 20. Jeremiah 20 an example of a man praying to God with honest feelings so honest in fact he was inaccurate about some of the things he prayed or said because the point of that quoting that prayer is not that he was saying what was right but that he was being real and God dealt with him we're better off being real and letting God deal with us than faking it and not letting God in Jesus told the parable about the son that said yes and then didn't obey. He didn't go out into the field. Go into the field, yes, and then he never went. Duplicity. I say one thing, I do another. Then the other one says no, and he thinks better, and he goes. And Jesus is like, who did the will of the Father? The one who said no, but did the will of the Father. So sometimes our first reaction is, "Eh," and then we're like, "Eh, (sighs) yeah. But at least you were honest. The first guy's dishonest. But the second guy was honest in his no. He was honest, but then it translated into obedience. So he was real all the way through and wound up doing what was right. Yeah. There's more potential that way. Yeah. Hence, Jeremiah, his, kind of his prayer journal was quoted here, verse seven of chapter 20. Look at This translation says, you induced me and I was persuaded. Mine says the same thing. You persuaded me and I let myself be persuaded. Some translations say this. Many of them say this. Lord, you deceived me and I am deceived. He was cracking under the pressure because when he obeyed the Lord and delivered the word of the Lord, he got nothing but persecution and pain. No matter what he said, people did not respond. They did not repent. He just got beat up and imprisoned and talked about and criticized. And he's like, Lord, where's the fruit of this? You called me to the ministry. You gave me this great thing. You told me what you say. You'll you'll plant. You'll uproot. You'll build. You'll establish. And I don't see any of that. You deceived me. This is not teaching us God's deceptive. This is just a raw prayer. It's teaching us Jeremiah's being honest, even though what he's saying like we wouldn't read that verse during an IHOP session when we're singing the word. We're praying the word back to God. We're not going to pray that word back to God. Lord, you deceived me. I was deceived. That's not good theology. That's not the point of that passage. The point of the passage is Jeremiah was at the breaking point, And it's coming out, but at least he's talking to God about it. goes on to say, you overcame me and you prevailed. I've become a laughingstock all day long. Everyone mocks me because every time I speak, I cry out. I proclaim violence and destruction because he was, he was prophesying the, 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 um, the judgment coming from Babylon and exile and everything. Because for me, the word of Yahweh has resulted in taunting and derision all day long. He's complaining about his ministry. So the, the implication as we get to verse 9 is he tries to quit as a result. It's like, great, this, you know, I did what God told me to do and it's given me nothing but disaster, so I quit. More honesty. But he says, but if I say I quit, if I say I won't remember him, I won't speak anymore in his name, then in my heart it becomes like a burning fire shut up in my bones and I'm too tired of holding it in. I can't endure it. I want out and you won't let me out because the word has its own life inside of me and it burns until I speak. So many Pentecostals read that verse like positively. It's like actually Jeremiah was trying to quit and he was saying the the word of God inside of him is too hot. He He can't quit. He can't contain it and push it down. So it comes out again and he gets in more trouble. Verse 10, I've heard the whispering of many. Terror on every side for Jeremiah, they mean. Denounce him. Let's denounce him. All my trusted friends are watching for my fall. They say, perhaps he'll be persuaded so that we may prevail against him and take our revenge on him. We're going to trick him and ambush him. Jeremiah says, this is my life, Lord. Verse 11, as he's talking to God, the encouragement comes and you hear it in his voice. But Yahweh's with me like a powerful champion. Therefore, my persecutors will stumble and not prevail. They will be put to great shame because they failed in everlasting disgrace, and disgrace that will not be forgotten. Amen. Sometimes even when we're complaining in prayer, at least we're praying, and God begins to give us encouragement and we begin to confess, the Lord is with me. I'll get the victory. The Lord's with me. That's real encouragement right there because he's authentic and honest with where he's at. He's opening up his heart to receive encouragement. But the story's not over. That's real encouragement. But verse 12, now he's praying out of that encouragement. Yet Yahweh of armies who tests the righteous, who sees the mind and the heart, let me see your vengeance on them. For do you have disclosed my cause? Authenticity in his emotions and where he's at. Now he's praying out of the confidence. And now look at verse 13 the soaring encouragement. I'm on the mountaintop. Sing to Yahweh, praise Yahweh, for he saved the soul of the needy one from the hand of the evildoers. Verse 14, cursed be the day that I was born. (laughs) What happened? You were low, you went all the way to the heights. And then the next verse, your journal entry is, curse be the day I was born. Not I wish I wasn't born. Curse be that day. What happened? I'll tell you what happened. Ups and downs. Life is hard sometimes. And Jeremiah is not faking it, even as one of the great prophets of history. An extraordinary man spans his life as an adult reserved for singlehood called as a young man. The Lord took ownership of him. It was extraordinary, but it was difficult. And he's cracking. He's honest. He's emotional. I know this kind of constitution. I know some people who are kind of emotional this way. They live with me. They are me. (laughs) I'm not as great. I'm not remotely as great as Jeremiah, but I understand that, you know, I mean, I'm not crazy up and down, but I feel before I think sometimes. And this is raw emotion at the bottom. Cursed be the day I was born. And he expounds this prayer. He's like aggressive. He's frustrated. May the day when my mother gave me birth not be blessed. Cursed be the man who brought the news to my father saying, a boy is born to you and made him very happy. Cursed be that guy. I mean, this is creative cursing here. He's frustrated. You understand I'm not advocating. We just pray disrespectful prayers. I think we can be very raw and honest without necessarily going this far. That's not the lesson we get. Jesus was raw and honest and perfect when he prayed. I pray this cup pass from me, yet I submit to you. That was raw. That was honest. It remained Submissive, that's the ideal. I'm not advocating anything else, but reality that prays and then gets corrected is better than being fake and never getting corrected. The exposition continues. May that man be like the cities which Yahweh overthrew without relenting. And may he hear an outcry in the morning and an alarm for war at noon. This is all this guy that gave the news. That's all he did. And Jeremiah's like fire and brimstone on him over and over again. And I'm not done more, more of that on him just because he brought the news. As opposed to the next verse in verse 17, because he didn't kill me before birth. That's why I'm mad at him. I mean, this is really stretching it. He didn't abort me, so I pray curses on him. I mean, Jeremiah was really suffering to talk this way. It's not like he never stood before God. It's not like he never prayed or connected. He's a man of God. And the, the, the stress and the difficulty squeezed him hard. This is serious suffering. This is someone at the breaking point going on and on this way. So again, my point is not to advocate for this kind of praying. Just go for It's to advocate we're better off being real to God than projecting a false mask to him and to one another and pretending this isn't happening. That's not good. That, 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 that veil has to be pierced by the truth of God. And we just got to be real people, real brothers and sisters to God and to one another. Amen. Might as well finish the passage. Why did I ever come out? Sorry about this, guys. Well, it'll get better. Not in this passage, but later in the sermon, I hope. Why did I ever come out of the womb to look at trouble and sorrow so that my days have been spent in shame? End of chapter, end of journal entry. <sighs> Next chapter, verse one. The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. <laughs> On to work. Onward we go. Wisdom from the wilderness makes us authentic. If we're inauthentic, we're not wise. Another point to make, wisdom from the wilderness devours God's word during the suffering and treats it as authoritative and powerful during trying times. Life savers for me. I found God's word to save my life sometimes five, six times a day. My companions became Psalm 23, that popular, easily memorized Psalm I quoted over and over and over again. Just to hear it out loud was so sweet. I knew that was true, and what I was feeling wasn't. And so the word of God became my authority in a new way. It became a tender, loving word from a father with all authority. The Lord is my shepherd. I will not want. It was so sweet to be able to say that in truth. Sometimes you got to do those little battles to win your soul's position, to even believe that. But the warfare is there. You keep at it. The word of God is indestructible and the devil will bow. Those harassing demons putting nasty thoughts in our heads. Here is Yahweh's my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. One of my friends from Arkansas, South Arkansas, I don't know if you guys are in a contest with other parts of Arkansas. You guys have really blessed me, but this guy sent me a verse once. It says, The Lord will sustain him on his sickbed and then will raise him up. Oh, it was just one little verse. Here I am, Mr. Preacher. I studied the word all my life. And just this one little verse, just Revives me. It was like I heard it for the first time. It was awesome. I'm to keep going back to that one verse. Romans 5. Another passage I won't have time to look at tonight. I wanted to. My constant companion. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through whom also we've obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we boast in hope of the glory of God. But not only this, but we boast in our tribulations. Oh, thank you, Lord, for saying that. Knowing that tribulation produces endurance. That's me. I'm going to endure. And I quote, I know it by heart. It's not that much. I know it by heart, but I would forget it emotionally in certain moments, even though I knew it by heart. Right this way. Your word I've hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. I had it in my heart. Sometimes I'd forget it, and then I'm like, "Oh yeah, endurance! <laughs> I forgot. Awesome!" <laughs> because at a certain point, I get tired and I want to. Quit. I get tired and want to quit. I get tired and want to quit. Wisdom doesn't quit. Wisdom keeps quoting the word. Wisdom uses the word in the wilderness. It's it's got authority. Let it take authority over our emotions, our minds. We. Boast in our tribulations. Yeah, that's me right there. Knowing that tribulation endurance, uh, produces endurance, and endurance produces proving character, and proving character hope. So you can't just get to the hope Paul mentioned quickly at the first verse. You got to go through stuff to develop hope. Wisdom does that with the word. It takes the tribulations and owns them. Resist the devil, throw away sin, but take on the story God is giving when it gets difficult. Own it. Don't try to get out of it. Let it have its perfect work. Let it make you durable. Let it prove character. Let it refine you. It's so productive. Proving character, hope. Now, now I see the coming of Jesus with more clarity. Now I live a little more easily for the age to come and not this age, but it took some going through things and going through them, embracing the word. That's wisdom. Hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy spirit given us. I'm saying, yeah, amen. I can now, I get that now because I've had overflow in my heart because I've had to connect so deeply with God through the difficulty I've experienced his love in my heart. So I know that love guarantees his promises. He's coming back. Wisdom from the wilderness devours God's word as authoritative and powerful during trying times. Likewise, and we already quoted the text, wisdom from the wilderness creates real hope in our hearts. If we devour the word in the wilderness, we develop hope. Our spirits our demeanor rises with joy and we see the coming of Jesus and the resurrection more clearly. That's wisdom. Wisdom believes in the age to come. And finally, wisdom from the wilderness seeks counsel and encouragement and exhortation from the community of faith. I don't know how many times those texts of scripture saved my life that I mentioned. Psalm 23, Romans 5, I just quoted part of it. Romans 8 was one of my best friends during that time. I may speak on this in the morning. Romans 8, one of my best friends during that time. Proverbs 4, how the word heals the body. And just intensely going through that slowly. Just so much meaning to me. But other times it was just people coming to me and saying, I felt this for you in prayer. Here's what I feel the Lord gave me. And it would just change my life. My wife, said, my wife is an exhorter. She has the gift of exhortation. She's sometimes quite prophetic. So when that prophetic edge is with the exhortation, it's very powerful. But when she exhorts, it's with authority. I mean, even when I know what she's going to say. You know how you, you could do that? You got to say that because you're my mom. Or you got to say that because you're my dad. Or you got to say that because you're my wife or my husband. And when I know what she's going to say, I don't say that because she exhorts with authority. And when she exhorts me to encouragement and faith and a different perspective, it changes my life. I needed her counsel. I don't know how I could have ever gone through this without her. My children were the same way, but then the body of Christ would rise up and sometimes just the littlest word. I don't know how people survive without joining with believers and exhorting one another. I don't get it. And I don't ever want to get it because if I ever figure out how we can survive without one another, I lose all wisdom. My wife's extra prophecies. I mean, just simple things like I, you know, Heidi Baker. I met Heidi Baker when I went for a treatment in California. You guys know this story? Just, you know, you know how I met her? Gina and I were walking on the beach. I would go walk every day with Gina just to get out in the sun after treatment. Sometimes I was barely able to do it, but I wanted to get out in the sun and walk. And she's just sitting on a bench, Heidi Baker, just sitting there. I'm walking by, trying not to look like I'm stalking. And I go, you know, I think that's Heidi Baker. I mean, who's who, sitting on a bench? <laughs> I'm like, this is awesome. If it's her, looked up her picture on the internet because she was wearing big glasses and she had a, I mean, sunglasses and she had a hat. So I needed to find a picture that showed her from the side so I could look at her from the side and see if that's her nose because I didn't want to walk up to her. I was I just kind of felt shy to do that in case it wasn't her. And I looked at the picture. And I said, Gina, I think it's her. Gina went right up and Heidi Baker loved on us and prayed for us, prayed for me. It was just so precious. What a what a providential moment. We met Heidi Baker out there because she was recovering herself from a back thing. And she was just days away from going back to Africa. And we met her She's sitting on a bench by herself, listening to, I'm sure it was worship music. I, we didn't hear it. She was outside walking and had sat down. And that's where I saw her. And she said to me three times, I feel like, I feel like you're going to come all the way through this. I feel like you're going to get all the way better. She said it three times. I'm like, yeah, I'll take that. Just seeing her there was providential. But hearing that, and that's random. I got most of it from our church, but the point is wisdom receives the counsel of the saints. If we're better than everyone around us, we're not wise. If we're not deferential and submissive and receptive and teachable, we're not wise. And the wilderness will teach us, you need the people. Primarily you need God, but there are certain things he'll only say through the people because that's the way he designed us. And wilderness wisdom seeks the counsel and the prayers, exhortations and prophecies of the saints. How blessed are we to have one another talk about a support system, a support system that flows with the river of God. Let's stand and let me just close in prayer, praying that God will grant us wisdom, even in and from the wilderness. Father, first, I just want to say thank you with all my heart. It is a privilege higher than I can articulate to just talk about your word with other people. And all of us get that opportunity in some capacity. And it's just amazing that you would not just salvage us from the trash heap, but that you would dignify us as your children and put your word of truth in our mouths. Thank you. Now I ask you, Abba, Father, in Jesus name for this congregation, for everyone here and everyone who could not be here tonight, but who's a part of the church here, part of the church of the city and region, the true blue saints of God who call upon your name, who believe in Jesus, I pray. Grant your people the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of you. Father, I pray that the eyes of their hearts would be enlightened so that they might know What is the hope of your calling? What are the riches of the glory of your inheritance in the saints? And what is the surpassing greatness of your power toward us who believe? These are all in accordance with the working of the strength of your might, which you brought about in Christ when you raised him from the dead and seated him at your right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named not only in this age but also in the one to come. And you put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Thank you, Father, for your generous gifting of wisdom. We believe you for it and thank you for it.